And today we're looking at the sixth commandment. And as we have done in weeks past, I'm going to ask you to read it with me. It's pretty short. It's printed in your bulletin. Three words. Let's read this commandment of God together. Do, Do not kill. The word of the Lord. Amen. You know, in a way, uh, I don't think the commandment could be any clearer, any simpler. Don't kill. Don't kill any time. Don't kill for any reason. Don't kill, kill any place. Since the day that Cain killed Abel, I think humanity has realized this is not a good thing. This is not what God wants for us. That it's wrong. Just every, every way you think about it. Calvin says it's wrong because everybody is a part of the human family. And so you kill somebody, you're taking the life of a sister or brother. It's wrong because scripture says that, that human beings, every human being is made in the image of God. It's also wrong, I think, because, you know, if, if God is the one who gives life, surely the truth is that God is the only one who should take life away, right? Man, since uh, Moses received the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, you know what? Uh, we human beings have majored in loopholes and exceptions and excuses. I mean, that's kind of what we do, right? That's our thing. You know, we say don't kill, but... Um, there's an exception there. Self-defense. Hey, I get it. Somebody comes at me, I'm going to defend myself. You know, we say don't kill, except for just war. We say don't kill, except when somebody has committed the intolerable crime. There, there are just all these exceptions and challenges. And, and you know, we, we love the excuses. Let's, let's just acknowledge, we, we, we love them. Um, I've always had fun with those excuses that people give for why they've had auto accidents and they're writing these things on their claim forms. There's some really humorous things people have really said. Some of you, I've heard some of these before. But one person writing about why she had an accident blamed the sign. She, she said this. She said, as I approached the intersection, a sign suddenly appeared in a place no sign had ever been before. So I was unable to stop in time to avoid the accident. Somebody blamed weariness. I had been driving for 40 years when I fell asleep at the wheel and had an accident. <laughs> that is a long time. One guy blamed the guy that he actually hit. He said the pedestrian had no idea which way to run, so I ran over him. But my, my favorite is the one who blames the mother-in-law. He says, I pulled away from the side of the road, glanced at my mother-in-law, and headed over the embankment. <laughs> I mean, that's our, that's our, our game, isn't it? We, we look for the exceptions. We look for the excuses. We try to find the loopholes. And to me, to me, once we start down that road, we look at the commandment as this rule, and then we begin to think about, well, is it ever okay to kill? And we start talking about this thing and this thing. And it gets us into all the most controversial issues. We start talking about suicide and abortion and euthanasia. I mean, it goes on and on. My perspective on that is once we go down that road, we've simply missed the whole point of what this commandment is about. Because God doesn't give this commandment to complicate our lives. God doesn't give this commandment to make our lives 
difficult. God gives this commandment in order to bring life to us. To make goodness come to our lives. So I think really the way to go about this commandment is honestly the way that Jesus goes about it. And that is by looking at a bigger picture. We've got to look at the bigger picture. And so to do that, I want to go back and look, first of all, at the story of Cain and Abel. In the Bible, it's the story of the first murder. You know this story. You've got two brothers, Cain and Abel. They were loved by their parents. They were loved by God. As far as you know, everything is harmony. Everything's good in the family. Um, there's a difference, though. One brother's a farmer. One brother's a shepherd. The time comes for them to make an offering. And so Cain brings vegetables because he's that farmer. And Abel brings meat because he's the, the shepherd guy. And yet, somehow, Abel's offering was, was pleasing and Cain's offering was not pleasing before God. Now, the message translation kind of gives us some hints about why it might have been so. Other translations don't do that. And scholars have debated why God accepted Abel's offering and why God didn't accept Cain's offering. Don't go down that road. Don't go down that road. You'll miss the point. The point is that something was broken in Cain's relationship with God. And Cain was unwilling to deal with it. And so he gets angry. And what does he do with his anger? He stuffs it down. He pushes it down. And it begins to build. And the next day, he goes out in the field. And before he perhaps even realizes what has happened, he has taken the life of his own brother. It is, I think, those unresolved issues in our broken relationships. It is that sin and the consequences that come upon us because of our own sin in our relationship with God. It is all of that that is, that is unresolved that becomes the precondition for the breaking of the sixth commandment. And we've all experienced that dynamic. I mean, you've had a bad day at work. You've had a bad day at school. You come home, you yell at the family. You kick the proverbial dog. We've all done that. Somehow the, the potential for violence is really and truly in all of us. So a few years ago, there was this um, University of Kansas football player, 6'3", 270 pounds. He goes out for a midnight taco. He goes to Taco Bell. Somehow they get mixed up on his order. I don't know. They short him one chalupa. He gets mad about it, so angry that he literally tries to fit through the 14 by 46 inch drive-through window to get at these people inside. And halfway in, the guy gets stuck. So the, the, the manager and the people inside, they're scared to death. They call the police. When the police arrive, you know what they see? They see the rear end of this big football player and his little legs doing like this in the air. You know, we're all capable of it. I remember reading about Alex, um, I think it's uh, Alex, I can't remember his last name now all of a sudden. But he was the, he was the young man that, that, that did the shooting in Denver back in 2019. And he said that he did that because all of his friends ridiculed him. That was the same thing that Danny or Dylan Klebold, who was the Columbine shooter way back, way back. He said the very same thing. 
And yet, you know what his parents said about him? His mother said this was the sweetest boy. This potential for violence is actually in the best of us. I think what this Old Testament passage says or suggests is we need to go about things a different way. I mean, imagine, just, just imagine. What would have happened had, had Cain simply said, you know, God, I don't understand why you haven't accepted my offering. And God would have told him there would have been a, a relationship built. And they could have worked through that. Or if Cain actually knew what he did wrong, he could have said, God, I am sorry. You're right. I did wrong. Just acknowledged his sin and there would have been freedom with God. And then all the baggage of that emotional stuff would not have continued on with him. See, I think that's actually where Jesus is going with this now when he starts talking about how you handle the sixth commandment. And he acknowledges, acknowledges that, that uncontrolled or undealt with anger and rage. And let me say this. There's nothing wrong with anger. Anger is an emotion given to us by God. It helps us recognize things that are wrong and things to be changed in the world. The issue with anger always is how we handle it. It's always how we handle it. So Jesus says the root of breaking the sixth commandment is this uncontrolled anger, this unresolved anger. This is, this is what he says. He says, uh, but anyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. But then he says, if you don't deal with it there, then it escalates. He says, anyone who says to his brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. Now, the word Raka in the Hebrew literally means uh, empty-headed person. It's what, it's what Lucy says to Charlie Brown in the Peanuts comic strip. You know, you know what she says? You remember what she says? She calls him a blockhead. Empty-headed person. It's a word of derision. So anybody that, he says, Jesus says, anger is an issue. It can lead then to an escalation to sort of verbal uh, deriding people. And then it can take verbal assault. That's what this last phrase is about. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. And you're right on the verge of committing violence. So what Jesus goes on to say is instead of escalating this this emotion, this anger, this rage that gets in all of our lives, what Jesus invites us to do is to turn it around and de-escalate. Handle the issues. Handle the brokenness in your relationship. Handle the truth about your own sinfulness. Now, he says, settle matters quickly with your adversary. Do it while you're still on the way to court. Do that. But here's the thing. Here's the thing that I think is really so radical about Jesus. Jesus doesn't simply say that as his people, we are to deal with the unresolved relationship brokenness in our lives, the unresolved hurt in our lives. He wants us to be concerned about other people as well. And he says it like this. He says, look, he says, if you're in church and you're giving your gift to God, you're singing the doxology and you're praising God and all that. And all of a sudden you remember that uh, you have committed an offense against another person so that that other person is now angry enough to strangle you. You need to put down your gift, stop singing the doxology, walk out of church. You need to go 
and deal with that person and work it out with that person and then you come back and you offer your gift. you see what he's doing? And say, not, not only is it important that you and I acknowledge the struggles and the issues and the, that make us bitter and make us angry and work through those things in our lives, he said our job is, is to be that salt and light in the world and help other people do it. And it happens. Not very often, not often enough. It happens. It's happening in Rwanda right now. After the genocide there, there are Christian people now who are working to bring Tutsis and Hoodoo uh, together and helping them reconcile. It's happening in a place in uh, Northern Ireland, a place called Cornelia, which, uh, you know, Northern Ireland, of course, is a place where there's been a lot of violence and political division and religious division. And this is a Christian place bringing people together to reconcile it. And it, it, it happens. It happens in our lives. It happens in our world. We, we, we say it so often, I think, uh, in, in times of racial strife. And the people who seem to work to sort of bring different races together uh, seem to be followers of Jesus. I mean, in essence, what we're called to do, I think, invited by this command, is to be peacemakers. Well, it's hard to do it. And the thing is, it's got to start with us. It's got to start in our relationships. It's got to start with me. And I find that baby hard. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I went to graduate school back during the dark ages. That is before there were cell phones and back when it cost to uh, call long distance. And man, I was a poor uh, seminary student. I was pinching every little penny. And I was living on the dorm floor. And I had a friend who was... Uh, about to get married in the springtime, and he asked if he could use my phone. He didn't have a phone. He used my phone to call long distance to talk to his fiance about things. And, you know, I didn't think a thing about it. He was a friend. On top of that, you know, he was a preacher, and I could actually see his halo. And I knew, you know, you know pastors because you can see their halos. <laughs> and they always do what's right, right? <laughs> uh, so, my goodness. Uh, Christmas vacation came. I hadn't gotten the bill yet, but Christmas vacation. He goes home with his fiance. I get the bill. It's $150 in long distance charges. Now, I calculated what it is today. Today, that's like four dollars to $500. And for a poor seminary student, it was, it was unbelievable. I was so upset about it. I, I got on the phone and I called this guy. I tried to find him at home and tell him, look, you got to send me a check. Because I can't afford to pay this bill. I could not find the guy. And I said, well, you know, stop stressing about it. Don't worry about it. You know, he'll come back. He'll be back in the springtime and he'll work things out. That guy dropped out of school. <laughs> and I, okay, so I kept trying to find him. I even went so far. Now, this is how nuts I was getting about this. I even went so far as I called other seminaries, other Presbyterian seminaries, to see if it enrolled there. <laughs> I did not find him. So I was angry about this, I'm ashamed to say, for four or five years. And of course, what's happening inside of me? You know, I'm, I'm uptight, I'm angry, I'm bitter, I'm getting worse, I'm getting worse. And one day, in my prayer, 
God poked me a little bit. And said, Tom, when are you going to let go of that? When are you going to let me love you? And when are you going to forgive? And I didn't want to do it, you all. I didn't. But God's love is real. And God, I got with a counselor. Actually, I actually talked to a counselor about this. And by God's grace, I was able to find some healing. This stuff is hard business. Here, here's, here's Tom Bagley's perspective on this. We can spin our wheels all we want trying to figure out what kind of killing is acceptable, what kind of killing is not. When it's right, you know, to defend yourself, when it's right to not. When it's right to go to war, when it's right. We, we can spend our lives trying to figure that out. And we're going to miss the power of the commandment, I believe. Because the power of the commandment is in the invitation. It's in the way Jesus looks at it. He's just simply saying, look, in all of our lives, there's this brokenness. In all of our lives, there's this sin. He's saying, don't let it fester. Don't let it take over your life. Don't, don't let it pull you down. Deal with it right now. And he says, that's the way to life. That's the way to life. All right, bottom line, I, I don't know. I don't know whether um, Taco Bell ever had any fun with the fact that this guy tried to get through the uh, window or not. I know that <laughs> I remember that some late night comedians did. But I think that had I been there and had I worked, you know, for uh, that Taco Bell, I might have put a little sign on the outside by the, by the drive through window that said something like, please keep calm, we are going to get your chalupa. <laughs> you know? So the invitation, you all, I think that's how we go about this commandment. We've got to look at the invitation. God's inviting us. Let's be real. We're struggling. We're, we, we got anger. We got hurt. We got all this stuff. Let's open our lives to God. Let's let God help us deal with it so that we don't have to go all the way to the sixth commandment and break it. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Amen. This morning, um, the uh, affirmation of faith is some